here with Jordan Jordan Fields. Welcome, Jordan. Um, Jordan's background is, uh, you know, for me and what I know of Jordan, kind of this dark horse that he's been uh, lighting up the White Mountains. Um, and, and it's really funny because I was at Rooted Vermont, and Jordan doesn't know this, but I was at Rooted Vermont last season, last year, the only year they've had it, a gravel race. And I was there at the awards and I was hanging out with Jim Dang and he's like, oh, that's Jordan Fields. Like he just got fifth in this event. And, and that was like, oh, Jordan, I don't, I don't really know Jordan. And Jim said, oh, he also got second at the catamount. Like he's a good runner. Like he's been doing a lot more running lately than cycling. Um, and I was like, huh, all right. And then fast forward to September and here he goes on the presidential traverse taking um, a massive chunk out of it, running that in three hours and 42 minutes, I believe. Um, Pretty wild, just like, you know, to come in and and then back that up this year with uh, the Prezi loop, I mean, with a Pemi loop, doing that, starting that as a scouting mission then and getting that FKT and, and as of yesterday, running 10 hours and 24 minutes on the White Mountain Hut Traverse. So um, I guess lots to talk about, Jordan. We're going to mostly focus on, on yesterday's run. Um, but yeah, I guess it doesn't surprise me that you're, um, I found out that you're a Nordic, you come from a Nordic skiing pedigree, which uh, makes sense. Nordic skiers are beasts. Um, I know I've run with uh, Noah Hoffman and the Freeman brothers, and I couldn't think of like, I always tell people, oh, Nordic skiers could go be professional cyclists, professional runners, professional skiers, because all of this, the base training you guys do, and especially the technical running you guys do in Vermont, New Hampshire for your training. But um, anyway, it's been, uh, it's been really fun to watch from afar, and I'm psyched to talk to you today. Great. Yeah, psyched to be here. Uh, thanks for having me on, Andrew. Well, first off, how are you feeling? Um, fresh off your your hut traverse. Pretty sore. Yeah, um, I've been hobbling around today. Stairs are, are not feeling super exciting, but uh, it's been loosening up throughout the day. Uh, I've been taking a pr- pretty chill, pretty chill day, and just got out for a, a long walk today and felt pretty good about that. So um, my body definitely doesn't feel like it needs to do it again right now. All right. Well, give myself and the listeners um, a little bit of a little bit of a background on on who you are and where you come from. For sure. So, my name is Jordan Fields, and grew up in Woodstock, Vermont, not too far away from the White Mountains. And my background is as a cross country skier, as Andrew mentioned, and that was my main thing for for most of my life. And uh, I thought it was going to be what I was going to do for a long time. And I skied at Williams College in Western Massachusetts, where I had a great experience. We had a really solid group of guys when I was there and really strong team. And that got me super motivated about training and wrapped up that career. Um, professional skiing wasn't really in the cards for me. Um, just I felt like it was like maybe could have given it a shot, but felt like kind of the thing where work hard for a long time, but probably never get to the level that I wanted to be, meaning, you know, consistent world cup or Olympic skier. Just felt like I wasn't, wasn't quite there. Um, so then I decided to explore other things. A lot of it, uh, being gravel biking and, and, tra- and now more trail running. So here we are. 
and what um yeah tell me like what was uh what drew you to trail running and like where do you where do you sort of lay out gravel biking or cycling skiing and uh trail running like what what are you prioritizing and how do you split your time between all those activities i think this is the greatest part about nordic skiing is that you can't do it for half the year and so built into our training inherently is that you have to cross train and so that has always worked really well for me and since stopping skiing being my main focus i've continued with that mentality and so i kind of segment my year into different phases and so kind of this time of year through april will be mainly focused on skiing and ski touring more and more these days and then the springtime uh, I like to gravel bike because there are some big gravel bike races in the east in the spring, Rasputitsa, um, Muddy Onion's a fun local one that we do. And then there's some other ones spiced in there throughout the Vermont Overland later in the summer and rooted. But that's also a nice transition back to running for me because I find that if I really try to just like turn up the mileage right after a ski season, I often get injured. And so I kind of use it as a transitional tool and I'll start biking for, you know, April, May, June, and then June kind of transition to more running, less biking. And then June, July, August, September, do a lot of, a lot of running. And the thing that attracts me to trail running is the, the idea that it's you and the terrain. And just, I'm really interested by the idea of like how, how fast can a human cover a set terrain like peter howe and i were talking about this just this afternoon about how when you're up on the hut traverse in the morning if you're running it north to south looking out over the whole route from the prezi range and you see lafayette way over there you're like how is it possible for a human to go that far today and then you realize that you're that human that's doing that and it's kind of it's kind of mind-blowing that's what attracts me about trail running i'd say and what, um, like, when did you realize that this was a th- like something that you were going to excel at? Because um, you have that result at the Catamount Ultra. Um, I have, I, I'm just curious when you sort of put your chips into the table. And I know that you've, that's the beauty of the FKT thing is like you can kind of see where you're at based on some previous times. And it's the trail's pretty much going to be the same. But, is there other races or smaller races, bigger races that um, indicated that you definitely had this talent? I think this is part of the reason that Nordic skiers are able to fly under the radar so much is because we do a lot of time trials in the fall, not that aren't like races that other people would be at. But since for the last 10 years, every fall I've been doing uphill running time trials on technical terrain. So for example, like at Williams, we had a time trial up the Appalachian Trail, up Mount Greylock, the tallest mountain in Massachusetts. It's like just under 4,000, I think. And so that's a 50-year record of William skiers that have done that. And I was, I have two times in the top five all time. And I just couldn't quite break the record because the Appalachian Trail had been rerouted since that time. So I knew I was pretty good uphill running for a long time. Um, but then... When I, I lived in California for a year after I graduated from college and I was injured a lot of that time, unfortunately, and that's kind of how the gravel biking thing got going. But I decided to just run the vertical kilometer at the uh, Broken Arrow Sky Race 
at Squaw. And I had really been running like very minimally. I think I'd been running for like two or three weeks since coming off an injury. And I, I was in the top 10 there in a field that had a lot of pros had the winner of the UTMB there. Ricky Gates was there. Um, so at that point I was like, dang, maybe I should like actually start doing some uphill running intervals and see what happens. And then what did your, did you go, did you switch to formal training at that point? Did you get a coach and what did that look like leading into the rest of the year or the next, was this 2019 or is this 2018? That was 2018. And so that was June, 2018. And I moved back to the East coast in the fall of 2018. Um, and that year I did some trail races out West, but nothing, nothing major. And then kind of got going for the kind of stuff that we're talking about more in 2019. But in terms of like, I just, in 2019, I just decided like, I always, I've done intervals, you know, twice a week, every week. That's just kind of what I do, um, since college. But I decided that in 2019, I was going to do more focus on technical uphill running. And so I just changed the modality of those sessions from say roller skiing or biking to uphill running. And in terms of coaching, I was really fortunate that I'm really interested in training from a physiologic perspective. And then I have had great mentors as coaches throughout my cross country skiing career. And one of the coaches that I worked with is named Scott Johnson, who is a main coach at uphill athlete, um, that he runs with Steve house. And so Scott and I have had multiple eight hour car rides going to training camps, just talking about training philosophy. And so I lean back on, on Scott's wisdom quite often, but I write all my own training plan. Um, but I do consult with Scott you know, a couple times a year to be like, Hey, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this really long effort. How do you think I should fuel? Or this is what I've been doing for training. Should I change anything up now that I'm trying for the hot traverse versus the Prezi, for example. And he's uh, super generous with his time and always willing to answer my questions, which is, which is great. And I, I personally think the uphill athlete guys have it, have it figured out in terms of, uh, training. There's no, like this, this is their thing. There's no secret sauce. It's like base aerobic training with like wise application of intensity. And a lot of self-discipline to maintain the consistency and follow the program, right? Exactly. They always say you can't coach desire. That's their thing. That's so true. I was, I have that book. I'm well aware of their coaching. I was stumbling on one of their YouTube videos about how wild some of their experiments have been. One of them was getting like a oxygen tank from a welding yeah. supply and doing these intervals maxed out but you're huffing down pure oxygen and it allows you to tap into this like next level that you couldn't otherwise like strain your muscles a different type of muscle fatigue it is fascinating i mean those guys it does sound like they've tried it all they've seen it all and they've condensed like a proper training manual for Prezi Traverse, Pemi Loop, right? Like into that book is any any way you want to take your your running, it sounds like a really cool program. Yeah, it, it's awesome. And they really have done their homework. Like the the oxygen story is true and, and we can we can dive into that. Scott would probably have a lot to say on that. But the the short of it is that they um they they have good instincts, but they don't trust them meaning they, they always go back and do their homework beforehand. They don't just say this worked for someone 
it'll work for you. Um, they say, this is why it works physiologically. And so let's try it. And if it doesn't work, we can try something else, which I appreciate kind of flexibility in training. Um, yeah, let's talk just quickly touch on some of the specifics that you did for the PEMI when you're, I mean, sorry, when you're training for the Prezi Traverse, what were some key elements of your training that you think helped you, um, really excel on that, on that run? I think that mountain running really requires a lot of power and muscular endurance. And I think that people oftentimes focus on like, oh, I just need to be able to like have the endurance to go that long. And I think that's really crucial. But as long as you're doing, you know, a, a run or a couple runs a week of a sufficiently long duration, you know, 90 to 90 minutes to four hours, you're going to be, and you're going easy. You're going to be getting that base aerobic training. But I feel like when you're doing something like the Prezi, like you've got to be able to just repeatedly step up a three foot ledge basically, because there are these rocks that are going to get in your way and you, that cannot impede your motion forward because you're really trying to go very fast. And so I'd say the things that were critical for me and success on that were, um, about twice a week I did, uh, aerobic threshold intervals up the Dartmouth skiway. It's a perfect climb and Appalachian trail. It's technical but runnable. It's exactly a thousand feet of vert. And I would go hard on the way up or like at my aerobic threshold, which takes about 15 minutes. And then I go hard on the way down also. And then hard on the way up again and hard on the way down. I'd take about 45 minutes total. And I would do that twice a week. And then on the same day, I would do a strength session in the afternoon. Um, and the strength session was focused on mountain running specific stuff. So I did a lot of stuff with a barbell on my back, stepping up onto really tall boxes. Um, so to have like plates on each side and then a single leg step up kind of stuff or starting high in the box and stepping back down into a lunge, um, trying to get that strength and stability to be able to like do that repeated motion over and over again, retain the explosiveness so that when I'm like going up Eisenhower, I can keep running and not walk. That's wild. I mean, that's so systematic and it makes sense that it's, it's what you've seen in ultra running that used to just be like, Oh, I'm just going to go out and run. And that's my training. But to have a very focused, um, you know, focus on these, all everything that you can do in your power to help yourself. And that's goes down to like your strength and mobility as well as from familiarizing yourself in the terrain and then doing these intervals and like really doing the, the focused heart rate work as well. Um, yeah. All right. Well, we're like 20 minutes into this. I want to hear, want to hear about the hut traverse. Um, was this, first of all, was this like, where did this fall into you prioritizing 2020? Was this something that was a shifted focus based on COVID or, or what were your plans? And then when did you really start focusing on, um, training specifically for this? Totally. Um, so this year I was hoping to do, uh, a very similar year to I, that I described as 2019 was basically a bunch of bike races in the spring. I was going to do Rasputitsa. Um, and I'd signed up to do rooted again in the overland, uh, a little later in the summer and then shift the focus to more running goals in the fall. And I was supposed to, I had been in Bozeman last fall and I'd met 
uh, Mike Wolf, and he invited me to do the rut. And I was hoping to go out there and do the rut, which just seems like just so fun. Such awesome terrain, such a good group of people. Um, so when that was canceled, I was pretty bummed and I kind of recalibrated and, and I, early in the summer I had a trip up to Katahdin. I'd never been up there, so I was pretty psyched and I figured I'd give the FKT a try up that. And so I, I did that and it was super fun and I kind of used that as a test piece to be like, all right, I'm in the mix. Um, my fitness is okay. And then, so I decided that I wanted to do a really solid penny time and like that was going to be the focus of 2019. And then in August, I went out to do the PEMI with my roommate, Luke Costley. And then I was like, we're just going to do this at fun, fast pace. Like, I want to get a sense for what it feels like to run. Like, we were like, let's do it in seven and a half hours. Like, I just, or seven hours. I just want to get a sense of, like, moving well over this terrain without, you know, totally blowing ourselves out. And so we started at that pace. And when we got up to Boncliff realized that we were on pace for the record and uh I kind of lost some discipline I guess and I was like well dang if I'm on the record I guess I should just go for it um so then I then waited for Luke for a few minutes at the top of bond because he had I was like hey I'm just gonna like you know test out this section bond cliff to bond see what it feels like at a at a like a threshold pace and he's like cool I'm gonna keep rolling so we met up again and I was like hey man I think I'm gonna go for it went for it. Um, we can get more into this later. Don't want to distract too much time now. No, but go, go for it. This is good. Just a terrible, terrible bonk. I had not prepared at all for a race effort and I had never run the PEMI before. Um, so I completely ran out of water even before I got to the climb of Lafayette. Um, or I had one 500 mil flask that I was like rationing up the backside of Lafayette and I had two caffeine bills, a salt pill that I just happened to have in my vest, and uh, one goo left because I had just brought like a one PB and J or something. And uh, I was just dying, just holding on. Like my motivation was as much about the FKT as it was to just get back, so that I like didn't pass out on the trail. And cause I knew I would not have had help there. Maybe if I got back to the parking lot, like someone could help me cause it was like 90 plus degrees and I was apps like I've never gone that deep in my life. It was pretty insane. Uh, but to bring us back on track here, once that happened, I was like, dang, well, what do I do now? And I was like, okay, well I don't need to go back for the PEMI. I guess I got it. I'll let Ben go back and smash that time. And then I'll go back again next year or something. But then unfortunately I realized that because Luke had run with me in the beginning, it was going to be classified as supported FKT. Um, so I was like, okay, well I got to go back and get the unsupported. And that was my plan until last week. I was going to go this week and do the PEMI. And I just wasn't feeling super motivated by it. I had had that really hard experience on it once and I just didn't feel motivated to go back and break my own time even though I do feel like there's a lot of time out there for someone like Ben Thompson or Patrick Heron or really anyone that sets their mind to some training and knowing the terrain. And I just decided I needed something different. And so I, I called up Peter Howe and I said, Hey man, I think I want to do a hot traverse. And he was like, dude, you should. And, and so I just decided to, to do it, to do it. And 
I even wrote myself a note. I was like, this is not about the FKT, but I'm going to just, I wanted to just go my pace. And so I knew that there was a chance that I might get it, but it is something that developed over the, the week, not, not a year or anything. That was a long winded answer. Sorry about that. No, that's totally fine. I, going back to your, your Pemi loop, that's, uh, I don't know, that speaks a lot to your caliber and the level that you're running at right now. If you can have like the deepest bonk of your life and drag yourself out of it, then that's scary. The potential that's out there for, you know, get the right conditions. Say if you'd done a Pemi loop, um, yesterday instead of a, a hut traverse and you had been disciplined to hold back and do the casual seven hour Pemi loop, which is, or seven and a half, which is hilarious because most listeners will like kill for, um, a personal best of that, but it's, it's <laughs> that's not to poo poo a seven and a half hour Pemi loop at all. No, that's a, that's a stout, stout loop. No doubt. It's hard no matter what, but, uh, yeah, it's an interesting mentality. So, um, you said you, you talked to Peter Howe, um, who as like a 19 year old, was he 19 when he ran it? He ran it when he was, he must running. have been after his freshman year of college or something. Super young. And he had a, he had a really fast time for, for him. I, um, you know, I, I watched Liam Davis, Liam Davis and Jeff Colt did it a couple of years ago. And, um, man, like they kind of re the George Heinrich's record, just seemed like a, some I don't know why but it seemed really like untouchable or no one had really flirted with it it didn't really feel like um and then when watching these people make these breakthroughs or it's always exciting because it's like it not only makes you feel that it's possible to go much much quicker but it's like breaking these little barriers and that's drawing attention to it as well and when Jeff like had his time was it 10:57? Um, That's right. Yeah, when he broke 11 hours, he's like, "Well, dude, someone can come through and break 10 hours." And you're like, "Oh man, We're like, what have we started?" Uh, <laughs> but um, so yeah, you yes, you did this yesterday, November. Uh, did, sorry, get my dates straight. September 20th. Um, couldn't have picked like a, I guess a more perfect day. You'd swung in the shop on the day before, and speculating there's gonna be pretty cold out run me through uh run me through the day totally uh, i should start by giving jeff colt a shout out as well um i talked to him the week before and he was incredibly supportive of me giving it a real shot um if that's how my my legs and mind inclined so i just want to like he totally did push the needle forward on this run and having his support was what enabled me this week to be like, yeah, I'm going to give it a go. Um, but as for specifics of yesterday, I was pretty worried. The higher summits forecast was negative five to five above wind chill um, throughout the morning uh, with actual temperatures in the high teens. So it wasn't that windy, but it was going to be cold regardless. And I could have waited till later in this week, but I had had a bunch of friends who were psyched to come out and, and cheer me along. And so I didn't want to rearrange that. And so I decided to just go for it. And I carried, I started running that morning. We, we slept up at, uh, Carter notch and I started running that morning in like my biggest puffy and like cross country ski pants with the full zip on the side. 
because I was like freezing cold, so cold. But within like 10 minutes of just jogging around up there, I was like, oh, this is all right. This is all right. And I hate running in pants. So I just pulled the pants off. I put them in my back of my vest just in case it was bad on the Prezi. And then I ran in like a light wool long sleeve top with a hood that I could pull up. And then I ran in gloves because it was still pretty cold in the hands. Um, and then I, I got up to Madison and that was the coldest part. Actually, there was this strong Northwest wind coming right across kind of like when you're up by star Lake there, just like going over the top of the hut to that, to that high point above Madison Gulf. And I was like, dang, I'm gonna have to put the pants on. And then I came down and I was hoping to fill up water at Madison spring, but it was frozen solid. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I didn't, I didn't think about that one. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so I just kept going and, but you know, as I kept going, the sun was getting a little stronger and I never felt like I needed to put another layer on. And I just was like, I'll just keep moving through this. And if it gets cold, I'll stop. And it ended up being totally comfortable, totally fine, especially because Gulfside and Crawford path kind of take you in the lee of the wind a lot on the, on the other, the east side of a lot of those summits so it ended up being pretty pretty mellow and <laughs> were the lakes frozen too i mean there was a there was like a little uh border of ice around the edge you know like when it's starting to freeze over the winter it starts from the edges and creeps in and so there was like an a foot of uh ice on the edges but i jumped out to this little rock at lakes of the clouds and was able to get my filter down in there and and filter some water because unfortunately they pulled the the spigots out for the year, which makes a lot of sense in terms of pipes freezing. So no go on getting water from the huts this time. So what was um, your nutrition at this point? And then what were you, did you have Jeff splits written down? Like what was your, what was your plan of attack? Totally. So like I said, I, I kind of was like of two minds about this one. I just wanted a, a vision quest kind of to, you know, clear my head and, and just, I'd never run this far. So I just wanted to, you know, see it was capable. So I had, talk to Jeff and I, he'd give me some really awesome advice about how to approach it. And, you know, he had gotten lost briefly in mad Gulf, So he's like, there's time there, take it. And then he'd said that he had died really hard between Zealand and Galehead. And both Jeff and Peter Howe said that Zealand to Galehead is absolutely the crux of the run. And so my approach was, okay, I'm going to go steady a pace that feels like maybe I could keep this up for 50 miles up mad Gulf. And if I'm in the mix up there, I'm going to keep cruising. And if not, I'll probably just keep cruising either way. But I got to the top of mad Gulf and I think I was five minutes ahead of Jeff. Um, so basically I went the same pace as him, but I just hadn't gotten lost. And so I was like, all right, well, this feels like a pace that I can do. So I'll keep rolling. And then I had, put in another five by the time I got to lakes, which I immediately lost cause I had to filter all that water. And then, um, I just tried to think of that mantra that climbers use where they say, you know, slow is smooth and smooth is fast over the Prezi. Just like not trying to like use too much energy by like bounding over big rocks, but instead just trying to keep it smooth and kept it that way all the way down to Crawford notch. And, uh, at Crawford Notch, I put in some headphones. And that that point, I was like, wow, I'm super hyped. All right, I'm feeling good. 
Um, cause I, I kind of Crawford path is always kind of a downhill that beats me up a little bit. I don't know why it's just like, I always expect it to be a mellow cruise down and it's a little bit harder work than you think. So I put the headphones in and, um, and then kind of came back to life, got going, um, tried to put in a really solid effort down the AZ trail. That was where I said I was going to start putting in hard effort. And so I ran, I ran really hard down that. Took a deep breath at Zealand, filled up some water. The spigot was on there, and then just started going up Zealand and was like, "All right, I'm not gonna, not gonna stop a single time between here and Galehead, and I'm gonna run every grade that is reasonable." And I think that's where I gained a lot of my time um, was there. And then once I got to Galehead, it was like, "All right, you just got to give it everything you got now. You got basically two and a half hours left." Um, in terms of fuel the day kind of progressed in the same way nutritionally as it did pace wise or effort wise, I should say. And that I started out with trying to eat some fats. So I was mainly eating like PB and J. Um, I had them wrapped up in tortillas cause it's just easier for me to get down than, than bread oftentimes. And so I ate that all the way across the Prezi. And then after that, I started going more sugars. Um, I ate a bunch of waffles and then started in on some goos and uh one of my one of my secret recipes here that i'll give away is that i always carry on these long efforts prezi included as a long effort in this case a uh 250 milliliter flask with flat coke and a 200 milligram caffeine pill dissolved in it and that's just like my backup nitro and so i hit that thing as i was going up Lafayette and then put on the nineties rap music and I was, I was ready to go. Impressive. Super impressive. <laughs> um, a few things there is like, I always think that when you get to Crawford notch, it's the halfway point and that is going to make or break your day. If you're in a good mindset there, you're setting yourself up for a good hut traverse. Um, it's such an easy bailout point and it's, but it's also such like the perfect distance for a big mountain run. Um, and so at that point you were how, like, where were you at time wise with Jeff? I think Peter, how it's, I was checking in on, I checked in on you with Peter when I got back, um, after the Kismet race. And he said, you were like maybe 20 minutes up on Jeff at that point. Um, when at that point, were you all in, were you just like, all right, we're going. Yeah, I was pretty all in at that point. Um, all over the Prezi, I'd kind of been going back and forth with Jeff. I mentioned that I made up some time between lakes and then lost a bunch of it filtering water. Um, and then at Mizpah, I was, I think, like 11 minutes ahead. And then I tried to just kind of chill down Crawford. Not Obviously not going slow, but you know, trying to stay smooth. And I think I got down to Crawford Notch. I was 16 minutes ahead of Jeff. Um, and I, because I had had a sense that the huts might be, spigots might be off, I had actually left some bottles there at Crawford Notch in the woods. And so at that point, I went in the woods, grabbed the bottles of water, and dropped some of the layers that I carried on the Prezi. So I had a couple minutes of transition time there just taking off the vest, taking off the layer, et cetera. Um, and then, um, 
and then going. But it's it's funny. A lot of people have been saying to me like, "Dang, were you ever worried about getting the the time?" And the funny thing is, is like, I think on on paper it looks like I I smashed Jeff's record, but that is not how it feels or felt at all. Like I felt like all day I was out there just trying to keep up with Jeff. Like the effort he put out there is, is remarkable. And the way that I looked at it was I didn't look at it. I did look at it as a whole, but I also knew his splits between each location. And so I'm like, all right, now I'm in Zealand. I know this is how long it took Jeff to get to Galehead. I got to beat that time. And now I'm at Galehead. I know this is how long it took Jeff to get the Greenleaf. I got to beat that time. And so it was kind of like a series of races within the within this race. Um, and so, and with the filtering water thing, like um, that took a lot of time, just because I had to pull the vest off, get all the bottles out, and it was kind of hard to manage because you're squeezing this bottle with one hand and trying to keep the other one open with the other. And it just mechanics were tough. So that was like six or seven minutes each time. And so I, and with never having run this far, I was like, I could just like, like keel over here at any moment. I guess I don't know what's coming for me. So I never felt, felt like it was safe. Yeah. If you didn't have Jeff splits, it's like, it could have taken your foot off the gas quite a bit as well. Like, I don't know. It's hard to say like how hard someone how hard are you going to push yourself not knowing if there's something on the table to chase or that you know some that someone else is capable of like you should be capable of this um, i i think that's so true and then, um but, but then also it's, it's like the 50 mile distance of being this unknown to you pushing yourself like into an, a new place a new zone did you like was there any point in the day where you're like wow i've like I've gone further than I've ever gone time-wise or distance-wise. Did you have that threshold? Did you hit that point? Was it notable? It was definitely notable in terms of the effort because I feel like the the Pemi, I think, this year was a little bit of an exception because I was in such a dark place. So maybe we shouldn't use that as as a reference. But like the Prezi, for example, like even through the end, like I felt like I was just like had a lot of power left and was just like, I would cruise downhill and then on the uphill, I'd be like, all right, bring it. And definitely once I got to Zealand, it went from like, or well, I noticed that this this mindset changed a little bit of like, all right, I can't quite bring it. Like I know normally I'd run on this train, but right now I'm gonna need to walk for the next five minutes, 10 minutes. And I'm gonna have a freaking sweet power walk, but it's uh it was definitely like the some readjustment was happening out there for sure some recalibration um but i yeah i think you're right without jeff splits like would not have been possible i think especially on a run this long i think it's so easy to feel like you're pushing yourself as hard as you can and there still be more out there for you so that's why i, I mean i think folks like patrick karen going sub 6 on the pemi jeff going sub 11 on the hut traverse and other people setting these benchmark times that i don't know i myself before this year was like having never done the pemi i'm like dang maybe patrick karen's record will never be broken i think it's easy to feel that way um but you don't know until you try it and i think if anything folks that are setting these really high benchmarks 
are just hopefully empowering other people to kind of unlock this next next piece of themselves. Absolutely. Well, r- just quickly touch on that end of end of this hut traverse up to Lonesome Lake. What did that look like? I didn't I didn't really look into your splits to see see how much gas you had left in the tank at the very end, but um, what was that like? I pushed pretty hard up the backside of Lafayette. Um, and so when I got to the top of Lafayette, I was feeling like I am just worked right now. I am totally worked. Um, but I like threw myself downhill, um, and downhills are kind of where like on the Prezi, for example, I was like, I just got to match the previous FKT on the uphills and then I'll destroy them on the downhills. I think the strength helps with that. Um, the Nordic skiing background as well. So that's why I came with that kind of energy to Lafayette too. I'm like, all right, I just got to throw myself down this hill, stay steady. Um, but I knew that Jeff had kind of had an absolutely epic run from Greenleaf to Lonesome because he had met Peter Howe there and he had said to Peter, you know, it's, I'm here, it's 10 hours, five minutes. I'm pretty sure I could break 11. And Peter's like, dang, dude, you're going to have to haul to make that happen. And, and then they did, and they ran it in 52 minutes, which I think is super impressive. Um, so I was like, all right, I guess I've got this 52 minute benchmark. I've been trying to match his splits everywhere else. I'll try, but I was just feeling worked. Um, so I ran down, um, felt pretty terrible running through the campground. There's that slight uphill there, which I was determined to run everything because it's super, it's just like not even a hill on another day. But I was like dying pretty hard. And I got on the Lonesome Lake Trail and that first, it's like basically two switchbacks. And the first one is this just, I hate the grades that are between running and hiking. And it's normally you just run it all. And it's a little uncomfortable maybe on your easy day, but you just kind of, you know, jog it, little steps. And this one, I was like, I got to walk. And so I feel like I walked the first five minutes of it, and then I kind of came back, and I'm like, all right, man, it doesn't matter what happens at the top of this. You just got to give it everything. And then I started running again, and I ran to the the switchback point, and then it gets steeper. And then from there... Uh, I was just, anytime there was a little bit of a steep grade, like hike, hike, hike. And then anytime there's a grade break, just try to get 10 steps of running in 10 steps running. And I find that really throws people off sometimes is going back and forth. I found that a lot of folks like to continue either running or just getting in a steady rhythm of hiking. Um, I think one thing that I am fortunate to have is that I don't mind going back and forth. And I think on this climb in particular, it was really helpful. And then uh, my brother Zane Fields and my uh, roommate Luke Costley were at the top there where it turns over crest, just the crest. And so they really got me going and inspired me to get to the end uh, as fast as possible. But I think my Luke posted a video on Instagram, but I just like absolutely hauled across the boardwalks to Lonesome Lake Hut and up the stairs. And then just like collapsed on the porch. Like Jeff has this triumphant photo of him at Lonesome Lake. And the photo of me at the finish is just like, I look like a wet noodle. Like I'm just so wrecked. So it wasn't quite a triumphant finish, but I felt like I left it all out there, which, um, which I'm really happy about. 
I guess that's like the next cliche question is like, how much time do you feel like, did you leave time on there? Did you steal time? Like, how do you feel after this effort? There's definitely time, uh, to be had for me. Uh, sorry, go ahead. No, just, yeah. For yourself. Yeah. For me, I think that I never run it all as one piece. And I had run every section beforehand this summer. I kind of had like, oh, maybe I'll do hut traverse someday. So in these long runs I did on the weekends, I would often make sections of the hut traverse part of my runs to preview it. And so I think that you're at an advantage anytime that you've done your homework and run the course as a full thing on any race. And so I think the same probably holds true here. And that if I ran it again, I'd know more and I'd be able to find time in locations. But I, I feel like I put down a really solid effort, like in contrast to the PEMI, which I felt like I cobbled together something that ended up being a really solid time, but that did not feel to me like a, like a, a great effort. This one in contrast felt like a, you know, that's really solid. That was a really solid effort. And someone's going to run a lot faster. Someone will go sub 10, no doubt, but I'm not sure it'll be me. Well, you got some time to think about it. Analyze, (laughs) analyze all that data you collected. Um, well, cool. I guess the, you know, the other cliche question is like, what are you thinking? You know, what's your focus going to be on for the next year? Um, just side note, your personal life, you are a coach, right? You're doing some coaching. Yeah. I've, uh, I've been the assistant coach of the Dartmouth ski team the last two years and doing a little less of that these days. And now I'm coaching more of the, the high school program here, the Ford Sayer uh, ski club, their high school program. So it's been a, I do that as well. Yeah. And so I guess then go ahead. No, cool. Good kids over there. The uh, Ford Sayer program. So the Nordic and, uh, or Alpine, what are you doing? Is it all Nordic? Yeah. I just coach the Nordic, Nordic bunch. Um, which is good. They keep me, keep me on my toes. And I think it's fun to have something that's kind of gets you out of your own head, out of your own training mindset sometimes, you know, and be like, yo, we're doing this cause it's fun. You know, this is not about trying to be the best all the time. This is about having a really good time. So it, uh, the coaching is really, I like it cause it brings the attention off yourself, which I think is a good, it's really good for me. And that's good. I hope you're, hope you're instilling that, like the fun aspect of it, I think is you being someone, an athlete that's gone through the system to know all that exists after college, after the, the, the programs that you can take this engine that you're, these little kids are building or just the love for the outdoors and apply it however they want is super important. I always love talking to, you know, people that, uh, hopefully didn't, you know, burn out or maybe they didn't reach they thought that um when you turn 25 that's your peak but like there's so much more out there um after that yeah i could not agree more it's like the best gift that doing nordic skiing ever well nordic skiing built this amazing community that i feel so lucky to be a part of but it's enabled me to do things like run in the mountains and meet people like amazing folks like jeff colt and peter howe and um all these other incredible people that i I get to run with and who can call me up and say, Hey, do you want to run 20 miles this weekend? And I'm like, yeah, no problem. Uh, so that's a pretty big gift. And so I think that 
is hopefully something we can instill in in these folks, these kids. Yeah. So what are you excited about? What's what's the um, rest of your fall and leading into next year? What do you got? Totally. This uh, pretty excited to take some downtime right now. Honestly, uh, I think I was looking for kind of a cap off to the running season, and that's what the hot traverse was for me. I don't think I'm going to do any more hard efforts on trails, running trails this fall, but I'm um, hoping to do a little more biking because I didn't do a, get to do a lot of that this summer. So hopefully some some long routes. I was actually planning this um, route that I was had called the Borderline Reckless, which was going to go from the Canadian border to the Massachusetts border entirely on Class 4 and gravel roads. But unfortunately, some guy named Ted King came and did it the week I was supposed to do it. Um, so maybe I'll go back and just do that for fun. Um, but other than that, I'm pretty psyched about ski season too. So I'm going to start doing a little more roller skiing, just kind of like doing the things that bring me joy and not, not having a, a goal in mind right now. I think for next year, I'm hoping that we'll be in a, a better world for, for many reasons, but one of which being that we'll have some races again, I miss racing, um, FKTs are really fun, but I like to have kind of one to use as a project to get to know a place and to get to know the people that know that place. I think having them be my only thing this summer has not been quite as rewarding as having it be a mix of races and, and FKTs. So I think next summer I'd love to go back out and do the rut that I wasn't able to do this year and find some other local New England races. That'd be pretty fun. And, um, I've always wanted to do like the Trump's house sky race. So that's who knows. I don't think that's going to happen if I also do the rut, but these are the kind of things that are in my mind and will shake out over the winter. And then come springtime, I'll kind of have a sense. And I think I'll probably choose some FKT to, to make the project for the year just to have something on the mind. But, um, I'm not sure what that'll be yet. Actually, I'm not even trying to keep secrets. I just don't know. Totally fair. That's, that's a great answer. It's a lot. There's a lot of um, goes back to what we were talking about being disciplined and, you know, just keeping it simple and trying to focus on a few things that make you happy. So sounds like you've got that lined up for the indefinite future. But um, yeah, I just want to wrap this up, say uh, congrats and really fun to hear um, just the full details on how things unfolded. And it's it's like I said, you came, I think. For, for a lot of people this came out of out of nowhere but obviously you didn't and this isn't something that you just like were super naturally gifted you put in a ton of work um the specific work that i think a lot of people are going to just take some notes on um and hopefully incorporate in their own training but um again thanks for sharing sharing uh, a little bit of story time with us and come up and ski this winter we got lots of trails up here I would love to. That that sounds great. And uh, thanks for all of you do too, Andrew, here with uh, Building Community. I think the Hutchiverse really is about that White Mountain community and, and you're at the heart of that. So thanks for bringing us together and, and inspiring us. So thanks for having me on. No problem, man. All right. Well, thanks again and take care. All right. See ya.